0: this is the room now podcast and you're listening to highlights from the acr 2020 virtual meeting our faculty reporters have been doing videos and recordings so that you can stay up to date hope you enjoy these and our panel discussions
1: hi welcome to room now this is dr Artie Kavanaugh, and i'm here with my colleagues dr eric Ruderman, dr jack kush and dr alexis ogde and Just got done with the the acr 2020 conversions and uh, lots of stuff presented there lots of abstracts lots of uh, posters lots of oral presentations and summaries and stuff so we're going to talk about psoriatic arthritis tonight and we're just going to ask our our panelists kind of their uh, takeaway from the meeting now it's a lot as they always are a few intense days of looking at a lot of data so what is it that uh, is, you think, the, the most important takeaways from that? Eric, let's start out with you.
2: You know, um, we looked at the home. I mean, I looked at the whole meeting, it, it was a different meeting than usual, because there wasn't a lot, or not than usual, there wasn't a lot of new therapies, you know, which we sometimes look to these meetings for. There's new, there's new stuff, there's new pathways, there's new things. There was one new, you know, treatment trial with Dugravacitinib, which is the TIC2 inhibitor, um and, and other than that a couple of sort of phase four trials of some of the drugs we already have and a lot of stuff on um you know managing psoriatic arthritis and and more sort of thinking about um approaches than managing i mean the other new therapy that was there was the upadacitinib, though that wasn't really new because we sort of it had been presented at ular previously so it was represented at acr and for a lot of people obviously that's gonna be the first time that they saw it but it wasn't wasn't something new. We knew it was sort of out there and when the data had been out there for a while. Um, so that kind of made it a, a, a meeting where you had to sort of look around for something that was really, you know, uh,
1: game changing, basically. Alexis, what do you think? An abstract or, or a presentation or something that really caught your eye from this meeting?
3: I think there were a couple things. One was, um, so I think a general theme of kind of setting up for the idea of predictors of rheotic arthritis, um, both in terms of couple of studies examining one, a prediction rule for psoriatic arthritis at one year or five years among patients with psoriasis, um, not fully baked yet, but really nice work that's hopefully gonna uh, evolve into something more significant like a risk score. Uh, the other one was one that we presented, which was kind of a, what's going on in the time period up to the diagnosis of psoriatic arthritis and how are different providers coding different things that has meaning in terms of if we're gonna build algorithms within a medical record, how we might um, code differently for different providers in terms of what people are putting into the EMR. Um, and then smart, smart devices. So thinking about using the cell phone or the, your Apple or phone or Android in terms of uh, accelerometer and goniometer just to understand how movement patterns might change over time on the way from psoriasis to PSA. Uh, so that theme was there. The second theme that I thought was interesting and kind of discussed a lot at the very least was Guselchimab um, presented their data for axial disease. Again, we saw that previously at ULAR, so nothing terribly new for us, but um, looking at uh, BASDI changes among patients with uh, radiographs done at their local institution and how those um, BASDI and those people changed among uh, uh, with out Kusel- versus placebo. There was a parallel abstract on the other hand that um, from our group that showed that Basdi really doesn't change any different in patients with axial disease compared to those with peripheral disease alone. So really kind of questions whether or not we can be using axi- Basdi as a marker of axial disease. Kind of
1: like a back, a back version of the rapid three, huh? back it, rapid.
3: Exactly.
2: It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't very specific. It, it actually picked up sort of disease activity in general. Which was which was an interesting thread because there's this whole, uh, you know, idea now to try to break psoriatic arthritis and psoriatic disease down into different domains and try to figure out treatments by domains, which makes a lot of sense. And except that if you can't, if you don't have outcomes that can figure out which domains are going to respond to which treatments, then it, you can't get very far with that. And so it was, it was, so it was a bit of a challenge, this whole idea of separating out back. It was, it was interesting stuff. If it's separating out through sort of axial psoriatic arthritis, I mean, A, you, it's hard to say it's really important to separate that out if you can't separate out outcomes and show that those people do worse in some way or another. And then you can't look at treatments if you can't sort of hone in on that particular area. Jack, what would you take away from
1: the meeting?
0: Um, well, uh, to your point, Russ, uh, obviously, RAPID-3 uh, works in all disease, including axial spondylitis and, and psoriatic arthritis. So finding a better version of that, I don't know. You know, um, one of the things that, you know, uh, I covered a lot of RA, but I looked at the, a lot of PSA stuff. I was found it interesting that uh, machine learning found its way into PSA as well. And really in the one area that I thought was maybe the greatest need, and that's reading images. Um, and, you know, I, I, I saw that um, your group um, looked at that information I found that really compelling because you know that's the I, I don't think we're I really think we're not very good really at looking at or images or certainly quantifying them um, but you know using machine learning learning to score images for uh, the spine I think that's really compelling and I think that could be I, that's one of the machine learning things I'd like to see actually translated to practice.
1: Yeah I think the the radiologists are you know they're, they're definitely being, it's like Terminator. They're being replaced by the machines. And um, in this case, I, I think it's good because if you don't have a radiologist who cares about the spine, you're never gonna get good information from it. And there's, there's such wobble. I mean, how many studies have we seen in the spine where uh, the, the, the local local read was that if they had the spinal involvement, then the central read is no. I mean, come on, that's, that's, that's not data.
2: I mean, there's, and there's a lot of places that help. So that, that, that's great for studies, right? Because then you can standardize what's going on in the studies. You can read them centrally, but it saves a lot of time and money by having it read sort of a standard computer way. Um, but it's totally all. It, it's potentially very helpful in practice, right? So if you've got, yeah. a, if, there's a, if there's an algorithm that's developed, if there's a machine learning algorithm, and once this is set up, it should be, Sort of generalizable. You can export it to, di- you know, and, and, it, and it end up being sort of part of the software locally. And then you get an image. And then as the rheumatologist, you don't have to feel obligated to sort of figure out how to read the MRI because you don't trust your radiologist. You don't have to have a radiologist
1: who knows what they're doing. You can get a report back. I mean, it's, it's like getting a lab test, basically. Or remember that, ab- that abstract that Jose had last year with the MRE. Mm-hmm. So right. if our GI colleagues get an MRE, and the radiologist doesn't have to go, oh, geez, I, don't, I hate looking at bone. They can just you know, push a button and it'll give a good bone reading to see if there's any axial involvement. Uh, then, then you get double value out of every MRE, and, and they're doing more and more of those, it seems. I mean, you remember a
2: million years ago when you had to have a good pathologist who could look at your ANA plates and, <laughs> and, and, and figure out the pattern and figure how old out- are, How old are you? No, but that's not that far back. I mean, it is. and I remember that when I was, you know, in training. I mean, that's not that far back, and now it seems like crazy old, antiquated. And and I think in five years we're going to say the same thing about having a radiologist try to score a sacroiliac joint on an MRI. It probably doesn't make sense.
0: That, that microscope already. That microscope is right next to your VHS machine. <laughs> yeah.
3: I I think the other thing we saw that this is should be extended to tendons too. I mean, we saw with the Achilles study there was a, they looked at a baseline. People had to come into this randomized controlled trial using secukinumab to treat enthesitis of the Achilles tendon. They had to have enthesitis demonstrated on imaging locally. And what they found after central reading was only half or so of those actually had real enthesitis in the way that should be read. So I think that we have the same problem in the spine that we have peripherally as well. Um, so maybe we'll see more standardization of uh, enthesial readings on MRI as well.
2: The problem, though, potentially is you kind of a lot of times you want the image to show what you want it to show. And if the computer says it doesn't, then you're stuck with that. Right. Then you have to live with that. And people may say, well, I don't know that I believe that anymore. So it, it, it it's going to be a work in progress.
3: And radiologists will continue to have jobs for that reason. So,
2: Yeah, that's true. I mean, but they're doing this in other fields, too. They're already doing this kind of stuff, looking for, you know, for lung nodules on routine tests. Yeah you know, x-rays and things like that. I mean, this is the future in imaging for sure.
1: So let me ask you guys, um, there was, I I thought it was an interesting sub-analysis, as you said, it wasn't new necessarily. Um, The EXCEED study, the sub-analysis by sex. Um, Because generally when you go into a clinical study, you you avoid some of the influence like methotrexate in psoriatic arthritis studies, generally doesn't do anything because you have to get in the study with disease activity. Doesn't matter if you're on it or not. Um, but here, there was some of the some pretty sizable differences in outcomes um, um, based on sex. I, I that seems like is that must be a real thing.
3: Yeah, I mean, people have been talking about this for a long time. There's plenty of studies that show that even at baseline, women start higher on their patient-reported outcomes than men. Um, what was fascinating in this study is that. A, the change is also different, and this is showing this in a very controlled environment as opposed to maybe a different time points in an, in an observational study. So, at least we have that kind of internal consistency there. Um, but what's interesting is it also played out within the skin, which was fascinating to me because it's you know, we think of maybe this is more of a subjective outcome difference, um, but it wasn't. It was actually across more, uh, you know, objective outcomes like the PASI, for example.
0: So is this a an issue of the way differences between men and women the way they seek, you know, medical attention and how often and quickly and whatnot, or is this really um, pathogenic like it is seems to be in spondylitis where you know women just present with a different disease and later and stranger yeah. manifestations that make it more hard uh, more delayed in diagnosis.
2: That's the big question, Jack. And, and and unless you start to to break up studies or stratify studies by sex you can't you can't get to that right that's the that's the ability. you know there are certain differences women tend to have more pain and and so that sort of changes things women have more radiographic change I and mean, that for sure is there so there are differences and and they show differences in, in outcomes by gender in terms of rate of change that was subtle but you know it, it, especially if you're going to compare two studies head to head with small differences which is what this was about right this was the exceed study was adalimumab and secukinumab, where they, they, they both work very well. And and so you're looking for small differences. And so if gender can change things and you have a gender imbalance in the two arms, that's going to change your outcomes if you don't account for that. So it, it, it could be something to be focused on, particularly as we do more head-to-head studies.
1: Yeah, the regist- if this is a registry you're talking about, Jack, then yeah, it said, well, maybe patient characteristics are different and how they present to you as a physician is different, but this is a clinical trial. You had to have this much activity to get in the study and it's not like they were looking for men or women, they were just looking for eligible patients. So uh, to me, this seems really uh, that, that it's very clear that there's, there's a disease, a difference in the disease then um, maybe we have to stratify more.
3: Yeah. yeah, I agree. And I think more studies to really understand biologically what's, what could be driving some of those differences. I think we have this preconceived notion that there's more fibromyalgia in women. And I don't think that's necessarily always the explanation. And I think this study kind of further emphasizes that by showing some of these objective measure differences. So more biology studies to better understand this would be important.
1: Okay. Eric, what else got your, uh, floated your boat on this, uh, this meeting here from the, sorry, I'm just looking at the psoriatic arthritis.
2: Well, I mean, I, I did mention the one. And the one new drug, which was sort of interesting because we've been kind of waiting for it, is the Ducravacitinib. Or I know you have a different way of pronouncing it, but that's OK. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's a, um, a tick 2 inhibitor. So we've, we've, we've gone down the path of JAK inhibitors. Um, and you know the JAK family has four different major molecules in a JAK1, 2, 3, and then tick 2 And I, I don't ask me to explain how that happened, but it did. Um, and, and the, the kind of claim to fame here is that interleukin-23 seems to signal preferentially through TIC2 as opposed to the other jacks. And, and we know that the, there's a lot of intermixing with jacks and, and cytokine signaling. And it's a mistake to assume that a jack target is going to stop one cytokine. But you know that IL-23 has turned out to be a really effective treatment inhibiting IL-23 for psoriasis. And so it it poses the possibility that an oral agent that blocks IL-23 signaling could be particularly good in this space. The psoriasis data was good. It wasn't kind of the same kind of level that we're used to seeing with the IL-23 antibodies, which are approved. And this was the first data with in psoriatic arthritis a phase two study and the drug clearly worked but again the skin response was good but it didn't look like the kind of skin response that you would see if you had an IL-23 antibody which doesn't mean it's a bad drug it just may be not getting to the place that you know one might have hoped thinking about the the mechanism that was kind of the, the the you know hope for this agent. But it was, it was effective, it worked, worked on scan, it worked on joints, very well tolerated. seems to have a very good safety profile. So um, more to come, but we'll see.
3: One of the interesting safety things to me was the acne. So that one of the, the and, and we were talked about this a bit, you know, is this just because it's dermatologists picking up acne, you know, why, why is that different? We don't see that with other IL-23s. We don't really see that as much with the jacks So it's kind of interesting. And it will be interesting to play out in the phase three studies.
2: Yeah. there was. There, there was Acne in the psoriasis study, and it was, it was definitely skewed towards the treatment arm and not the placebo arm. And, and I went back and looked at the paper and they postulated, you know, that maybe it had some effect on the, on the skin bacteria that sort of evolved in acne and did that. But it, it's all speculation. I don't think anybody
1: truly knows. There's no good mechanism. And, and you know, I you say acne, but boy, I'm surprised. I'm not su- surprised. It really bothers people. You know, you've got a little bit of steroid, and they get some acne, right. and it, that's all they want to talk about. You know, is right. the the acne? Right. Uh, and so I, and it's like know. I'd rather have
2: the psoriasis. Or, you know, right. and and I, we don't know how much acne they really had. Was it a right. you know, as Alexis said, it, they were dermatology studies. Dermatologists know acne, right? And so yeah, a little bit they would have picked up and said, yeah, there's some acne here, but I, I don't know how significant clinically that was. We don't know. So will
0: TIC2 parallel the development of all the IL-23s, the tildrakizumab, the mirakizumab that, you know, they're in skin trials that have just been reported um, or, or approved, um, and is that why TIC is going to pave the way? I mean, it's phase two. It gave a 60-40-20 sort of response. That's all well and good, um, but I, I think that they need to go to the next, next level, one, to look at this this particular side effect, but also to can show that they really are going to have the staying power either with the
2: skin or with the joints. I, I mean, it's not going to be any better for joints than anything we have already. I mean, cause it, you know, look, it's a phase two trial that's 60, 40, 20. You know that the phase three trial is, isn't going to be better than that. And it may likely be not as good. So it, it's going to be good for joints. The question is, is it better? Is what's the, what's the hook? Is it better for skin? Is it safer overall? What's the, why?
0: Well, well I think they're hoping for a filgotinib-like sort of angle that they can make the, cane, the claim, yeah, we work, but look at our safety data. Boy, yeah. Our safety data looks really, really good. And I, I, I'm, that, that's, I'm just speculating right now, but um, obviously, uh, but, you know, we, I, I've got, I'm sure you do too, plenty of people that are taking the approved uh, uh, jack inhibitor and doing great with their skin and their joints with really problematic disease. So, you know, that's what you're looking for. I have,
2: a, Go
3: ahead, Alexis. I have a feeling the target here is going to be a and in, in fact, the, in the psoriasis, the skin trial, they did, it had to, they compared it to a that that they haven't published yet, but just had a press release for. So I think that that might be the market they're going to target too for this. I don't know. I mean, this is all speculation as well, but I think that may be where this lands.
1: So Jack, I, I was going to have to follow up on that. You've been on the FDA panels. How much evidence will they need to say, we? Well, you don't need to check lab tests? I mean, that's a premolas big niche. That's yeah. a I that's a big seller for that drug is you don't have to check blood tests, um, but this is a jacanib and jacanibs, you have to take blood. So what's, what's the threshold?
0: I think they go into this. Well, Artie, just like when you were on the FDA session at, at the ACR meeting, um, along with Nikolai and others, and I asked him, how's the tick two gonna be treated? as far as VTE risk, and he kind of went like this, but I really, what he was saying was, it's going to be treated the same until we learn otherwise. So they're expecting that this is going to be a lab monitoring drug. And of course they have to do the labs, but they're going to have to show um, a primalast-like safety in labs where nothing budges. You know, the CBC doesn't change. The chem profiles don't change. There's no lymphopenia risk. There's no you know, CKemia that people are worried about. The lipids are not an issue. They got to prove a lot, and I think that's. I'm I'm a betting man. I'm not betting on that.
1: Well, and let me ask Alexis and Eric because a difficulty is in PSA. I I think you see less problems lab wise than you do in RA with the jackanapes. Everything is a little bit better, right? You know, I I think the CK signal is less, and so I think you're 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 proving it by disease because there's no. I mean, Ducrevisitin may go into lupus and other diseases, but I think it's not gonna go into RA that I'm aware of. So where are you gonna get the comparer?
3: Yeah, I think the LFTs are always an issue in psoriasis and PSA because they're fatty liver disease. So we'll see if this has an impact.
1: Yeah, I,
2: I, I, but I, I sort of agree with Jack. I mean, I think that, you know, a, a primal ask got, got a pass because they didn't see any issues and it, and it had nothing else that was sort of comparable. And they could say it's a different drug. So the only way, even if they don't see any lab abnormalities, and and even with the VTEs, the only way they can get that past the FDA is to say, no, 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 it's a tick two inhibitor, it's not a jack, and and <laughs> and you know we well, don't really consider it a jack inhibitor because because I mean look at look at patisidinip, right? No VTEs in the clinical trials at all, no signal whatsoever, but the label carries that risk that that is pulled over from the other drugs, and so. It, it, it's really going to come down to whether the FDA decides this is the fourth Jack inhib, you know, this is the fourth Jack molecule that we're inhibiting, or they're willing to say it's a different molecule. It's a different. Uh,
1: so they'll say, no, we're not a Jackinib,
2: we're a Tickinib. That's exactly right. It's a yeah. yeah. And we're presenting two
0: doses for you for your consideration, just right. like all the other Jacks that didn't get two doses. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. Right. Well, we're waiting on Phil Gotton. If they got two doses in Europe, um, I'm, I'm betting they will not get it. Whenever they get approved, 2021, 2022, you know they got they're they got a few things, a few hurdles to jump over before they can go up for consideration again.
1: So Jack, we, we're uh, I think we're we're about at the time that we're looking at. You want to uh, anything final, or you want to run the panel, the final thing, or I think we're we're almost at the time.
0: I I think that uh, this was really an interesting discussion, and I, I think I. I think that the one thing that, that this panel of experts on psoriatic disease could tell us is, what's the best way to treat enthesitis? Let's go around the horn. Um, um, Alexa, you want to take a stab at that? Alexa,
3: I'm sorry. I think in addition to treating the whole disease you know, with a biologic or whatever you're treating with, I do think that actually physical therapy rests you know, as needed and sometimes for the Achilles in particular, a boot, um, is sometimes needed, especially when it's really robust and NSAIDs. So, I think that treating just with a DMARD, CSDMARD, whatever you choose, is not enough. I think you have to do the conservative route as well.
2: And if you're asking for treatment, Jack, I mean, all the biologics work well on enthesitis, and I don't see a distinguishing feature there.
1: Okay. Alexis Stolman, I was going to say non steroidals. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the other thing old school. The other thing that wasn't at this
2: meeting, but is sort of sort of trickling in the background is the first part of 2021 is the year of jack inhibitors for spinal arthritis in general that you know we're going to get upadacitinib now all of a sudden for psoriatic arthritis we're going to get upadacitinib uh, uh, for for ankylosing spondylitis we're going to get tofacitinib it's you know the first six months of next year is going to be JAK inhibitors in spondyloarthritis like it was in RA a few years back. And, 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 and the use in RA has kind of set the stage for that. So I think it's going to take over even faster.
0: So I have one more question I have to get in from, because you guys are the experts. What do you think of the of Spa study? I mean, tight control and arthritis and usual care was as good as tight control in the primary endpoint. What's the deal with that?
3: the primary endpoint is the deal with that. Uh, So I think that, you know, if you're, you're targeting disease activity along the way, but your outcome is something different. I mean, I understand why they chose that because that you ultimately want to improve how the patient feels. However, how the patient feels in terms of their quality of life is impacted by many other things. It's a multifactorial outcome. And so now you've kind of gotten one piece into a big piece. So I'm not sure that that's the best way to look at it. Clearly they did better overall, but it just didn't meet statistical significance.
2: I'm yeah. skeptical about tight control and axial spot altogether because, because one of the the goals for tight control and rheumatoid arthritis has always been, you know, better long-term outcomes, less structural damage, better function in the long run. And when we're working with drugs that we just don't know truly change those outcomes. I mean, the the structural benefit from biologic therapy and axial spot arthritis is, you know, if anything, very tiny. And I'm not even convinced it's really that in a lot of people. And so it's all about symptoms. And, you know, when you treat somebody, you know, then the Brooklyn hack is good enough. If you're doing symptoms and the patient says, I'm good, then you've treated their symptoms. They're in tight control. And, 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 and doing a measure that puts a number on that may not
1: get you any further. I think that the most notable thing to me about the, the, the presentation of that was it was incredibly cost-effective. In, insanely cost-effective. It was like a couple of thousand dollars for a quality. I know. Although
3: but, if you don't count the biologics nor the visit costs, you get extremely cost-effective. So. Yeah. Uh,
0: Wait, the biologics you know, that cost, how much do you, I mean, you have to count that.
2: So. They don't, I mean, that's the problem. And there's just no way to believe that it's cost effective in the U.S. with the cost of the biologics. Any any study that's you have, point going, that's a really good point. Have more people on lot bio- You know, if you go to a tight control approach and and this, it's set up to drive more people to biologic use, it's going to be more expensive. the The problem is that tight control there in Europe and in countries in Europe is is it, the cost analysis is different because they can roll in uh, societal costs. Are they at work and and in the US, that's a separate issue. That the cost, you know, the cost savings by keeping people at work and not out on disability or not out on short-term leave, that doesn't get accounted for in your insurance costs and the cost of treating somebody. And so there's just no way to put all that together. And and, and given that, if you don't account for that, there's no way the tight control with more aggressive use of biologics could possibly be cheaper.
3: Yeah, it's not. <laughs>
2: All right, well,
0: Jack, you wanna wrap us, wrap us up? Yeah, I, I wanna thank the, uh, this panel of, of psoriatic experts and contributing greatly to uh, the, uh, the RoomNow audience. So, um, and by the way, you all look wonderful having just survived a four-day virtual meeting. It's just sort of amazing. So congratulations on all your hard work. Fun great. meeting. Thank
2: you, Jack, by the way. RoomNow has done a great job during this meeting and, and the coverage was phenomenal, yeah. you know?
0: All right, enjoy. Have all a right.
3: Good. Bye.
0: All right, folks, see you.